0: This is Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined, as always, by Federico Vittigi. Hello, Fraser. How are you? Hey, I'm not too bad. How are you?
1: I'm recovering from an Italian Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, okay. <laughs> was a lot of food. <laughs> uh, that I will tell you. And also, um, so, so something odd happened today, which ties in perfectly with the topic that we're going to discuss. So. Okay. M- I've been using Reminders as my Mm -hmm. uh, task manager uh, on on all my devices for the past uh, three months, four months maybe, and it's fine, but this past week I noticed that my Reminders were out of sync. Um, So I tried to get to the bottom of this, and eventually I realized that my new Mac Mini, which I got two weeks ago, so fresh installation of of macOS, no backups, no legacy settings, Uh, it was keeping a copy of old reminders in its database. And some of those old reminders were getting synced back to my other devices. That's strange. Yeah, that's strange. So I, as you can imagine, fixed it by uh, turning it off iCloud and turning it on again. And that worked, uh, which is perfect, because today we're going to talk about, uh, in our Future of iPad series, the cloud, and, uh, and you know, with the focus on iCloud and, and other competing cloud services. And I thought, you know, perfect timing, I'm going to be talking about the cloud, and I experienced this problem that requires me to turn iCloud off and
0: on again, uh, which is kind of perfect. Um, turned the whole cloud off and back on again.
1: Yeah, Oh, really, when you do that, you got to, dis- like, in addition you get some to... terrifying
0: it, yeah. It's
1: ter- Verifying, it deletes everything and it (laughs) would you like to take everything off this device (laughs) (laughs) yes and it's like on the mac it also tells you we're gonna create an archive folder for all the things that you haven't uploaded yet um (laughs) i don't have this folder so i guess that everything was uploaded in icloud drive Mm. anyway um i wanted to talk about icloud and we're gonna talk about competing cloud services and we're gonna talk about the the broader picture of using the cloud on an ipad Mm -hmm. um when it comes to iCloud, there's uh, multiple sides of the, the, you know, iCloud is a marketing term, but from a technological point of view, it's made of different parts. There's the syncing of your data between devices, there's the authentication, you know, uh, for two-factor uh, authentication support and verification, that kind of stuff. There's CloudKit kit for third-party apps and third-party developers. And there's also iCloud Drive and the Files app and sort of your, your front end to file management based on iCloud. So I wanted to start by mentioning all the things that iCloud can sync and store. Uh, So if you go on your iPad and you open settings and you tap on your profile picture at the top, you will see all the services and all the apps that you can sync with iCloud. And these include uh, photos with iCloud for a library, uh, mail, contacts, reminders, notes, messages, which launched last year uh, with messages in iCloud, your Safari bookmarks and reading lists and even your your open tabs between devices, news stocks, if you want to sync your stocks, you know, mm-hmm. between your iPhone and iPad. Got get that portfolio.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. uh Home uh, health, which also launched last year. You can now keep an encrypted copy of your health data in iCloud. Your wallet passes and and cards. Uh, Game Center, which is still a thing, even though it's not an <laughs> app anymore. Um your Siri preferences, and your keychain. So the, your iCloud keychain, of course, uses iCloud. Uh, in addition, uh, they don't necessarily qualify as services, maybe, but you can also, of course, keep a backup in iCloud. That's possibly the the, the main feature that people sign up for iCloud in addition to photos. Um, and Find My iPhone is also based on iCloud, and it syncs your, all of your devices together using
0: iCloud. This is a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. And and it's, it's also interesting, Federico, that a lot of it's opt-in. You yes. know, It's not just like turn on iCloud and we'll just automatically do all the stuff. Every single one of these has got its own radio button or, or switch yeah. that you can turn off, Um, which kind of it speaks a little bit to the kind of accretion of all these features over time. You know, that um, there was one time when they added stocks and then they added home and everyone just gets a little switch rather than just sort of doing it, you know. um, It's interesting. Why would you ever turn off one of those things, you know.
1: Well, um, I get like I can see the argument for health. For example, if you if you don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable yeah. with uploading your health data, even though it's an encrypted copy, um, I, I can understand why. Mm-hmm. And also. I think an argument could be that if you if your internet connection is not that great, uh, maybe having messages pull down your entire history of conversations that go, you know, way back in in you know years ago, maybe that could be could be a good idea. Yeah, you, you
0: make a fair point. I think it's something that I. Uh I often forget, you know, yeah, me you live too. in the world where, <laughs> where you've you've got hundred and fifty megabit to your house and 4G everywhere. Yeah. You know, that, that there are some people for whom the cloud still doesn't really work very well. Um, and it's funny I forgot that because I was literally teaching this lesson in school today about cloud storage. And I said, you know, if you live in somewhere like, I don't know, Glencoe or somewhere in Scotland, you're probably not having a lot of good times on the internet with uh, with you know, high speed cloud upload and things like that.
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, I feel like being able to selectively choose what you want to enable or not, that, that, that's useful, and in my case, even for just debugging purposes, like to understand mm-hmm. if it's something wrong, you Fitch can just disable that yeah. feature, like my reminders. That didn't work. I needed to sign out of iCloud and sign in again. Mm. Um, so there's also CloudKit for developers, and I won't go over the technical details. Uh, details. There's a there's a, a I think a white paper that you can you can just Google a CloudKit white paper, and it, it explains in great detail how CloudKit works. But essentially, it's a way for third-party apps to store data in their iCloud containers without exposing an actual document structure in iCloud, in iCloud Drive, sorry. Um, So these apps that use CloudKit can automatically quote-unquote sign you in, in that you don't have to create an account. They can just use your iCloud credentials that are already stored on your device but they won't create a folder that you will find in the Files app under iCloud Drive. Um, examples of these could be, for example, the Bear Notes app on, 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 on iOS. Uh, drafts, I think it syncs your actions and your preferences across, across devices with CloudKit. And it's this invisible system that uses iCloud um, without being document-based. So it's a replacement for the old, um, I think it was called core data uh, syncing. Um, And CloudKit, I can tell you, uh, it's used by Notes, it's used by other Apple apps, and it worked, it always worked really, really well for me. Uh, I'm not sure if Reminders uses CloudKit, so I'm not sure what happened there, honestly, but in my experience, it, it
0: works really well. Yeah, CloudKit is, is interesting because it's used in lots and lots of tiny little places that you don't think of. Like, yeah, um, I believe TweetBot uses it to sync between devices the last tweet that you looked at on any one of your... Devices, yes, and it syncs your reading position, you know, and it's stuff like that—just tiny little keys, keys and values, and little bits of data that fly into CloudKit, and and that's worked really, really well since, really since it was launched. It, you know, it's it's really enhanced the it's so good you don't think about it. And that that's the ideal for the cloud, I think. And it's very hard to get there for all kinds of different data that you want to store in the cloud. But for those little bits of information that you just want to, you know, trickle sync in the background, things like your Twitter reading position and, uh, you know, whichever file you had open in ulysses and things like that yeah um super 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 useful yeah,
1: yeah. and it's uh, it's and it's nice that you don't have to create an account you know uh I always
0: uh, well, that's I, I huge, don't, yeah
1: I don't like it when I when I start I want to try a new app and the first thing it does it asks me do you want to create an account with us do you want to give us your Or email? sign uh,
0: with facebook even worse yeah.
1: yeah that's even worse when you know the only support method is Facebook so um I like that that everything's sort of um sort of invisible and tied to my device identity. So that's one of the benefits. Um, So the next part is uh, iCloud Drive, and the Files app. Um, and this is the well, possibly one of the features that people use the most since Apple uh, launched the Files on iOS. Uh, it's a native integration, so iCloud Drive, uh, if you use iCloud, if you have an iCloud account, uh, it shows up in Files as a location, uh, and it keeps the same structure that you see on your Mac in the iCloud Drive section of the Finder, uh, but it's got more limitations than the Mac's Finder. Um, I've always found it to be iCloud driving files sort of a strange in between uh the you know what the Mac offers and what other cloud services offer um for example um you cannot control what f- which files are kept offline or uh removed from your device and you know when they have a cloud icon that means they need to be downloaded again so iOS abstracts this this concept completely from your control. Uh, you cannot say in my iCloud Drive always keep the uh, work documents folder downloaded at all times. If the OS decides that that document that folder needs to be removed from local storage, it will do it. You don't have any any way to control the caching of those documents. Um, that,
0: that has been particularly killing me recently in school as well because we have a had a situation we we use. Uh, Swift Playgrounds in school and in Swift Playgrounds every kid has downloaded the file the Learn to Code 1 book which is about I don't know it's, it's multiple hundreds of megabytes possibly 150 to 200 megabytes but it is by far the single largest object in the file system on those iPads. And it seems to me that over recent weeks, iCloud has been deciding that you know, whatever the kids' iPads are filling up, let's look for the biggest thing on the system and let's just delete that and or, or at least put it up into iCloud and then remove it from local storage. So every time I come into my class, you know, once a week, uh, I go into to get the kids to open up their iPads and, oh, they've all got to re-download this enormous file <laughs> at the same time. Uh, so that that has been really annoying recently um, and it's something that I think is you know, for situations like that, where you've got one anomalously large file that the system really wants to get rid of to free up a lot of space in one go for the loss of one file. Um, but it's one that I need every week and I would like it not to have to be downloaded again 10 times at the same yep. time. That would be really helpful.
1: Yep. Um and I also think it's strange how um, you don't get access to important features that are otherwise available on the Mac or on iCloud.com, of all places. Hmm. Uh, so um, you you cannot see your versions of your files. Uh, you can do this on a Mac. You can see all versions of a document. Uh, you cannot see versions at all on iOS, in the files app and in iCloud Drive. If you overwrite something accidentally, you cannot view versions of that file and restore an old version. Um, And if you accidentally delete something and it's gone, uh, the restore option um, is only available on iCloud.com. You need to open the web app, which... Amazingly does not support iOS Safari by default because it asks you for yeah. a desktop browser. So when I have to do this I need to use iCab uh, which is a third party browser on my on iOS and I need to uh, essentially uh, change the user agent of the browser to say it's Safari for the Mac, and then I need to go to iCloud.com and log in with two-factor authentication and restore a deleted file. And this is inconsistency. Uh, I find it to be really strange because it's the same service. It's the same iCloud drive. It's the same iCloud that I pay for. But depending on the platform that I'm using, I get different features and I get different controls. Um... This is one of the, and I'm going to mention it again toward the end of the show, but this is something that I really want to be wanna have more consistency because it's the same service and the same service should behave the same no matter the platform I'm using to access the service.
0: Yeah, you, you would like to think that, wouldn't you? And, and yeah. in a way, you've got these other, <laughs> these other services like, for example, I suppose like Dropbox and Google Drive where Google Drive takes the view that, well, uh, you'll basically use a version that is essentially the Android app on iOS, you know it's, it's got the Google design and you know going between an Android phone and an iOS device There's no difference because they look even look the same, you know, and of course it looks like a, a poor iOS app You know the Google apps do not look like iOS, but they're at least the, the same service on both sides So yeah, it, it's strange. It's weird to think that icloud.com has more features than iOS you know, it's, you'd um, always, yeah. in the Apple hierarchy, you'd always think that was the last thing to come along, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it seems to have some features that are otherwise not there. Yeah. All right. Federico, so. let me tell you about a sponsor. Yes, okay. Because our our good friends at Pingdom are back this week. And this is a company who makes website performance monitoring really easy because everyone loves a fast website. And Pingdom are helping to keep your favorite sites online. And these are sites like Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack, all the big websites. And these are just a few of the companies that trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring websites can get pretty complicated but you can monitor any site transaction with pingdom stuff like user registrations logins checkouts and much more pingdom care about your users having the smoothest site experience possible and if disaster strikes you'll be the first to know it's super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL and they'll take care of the rest. That is it. So go to pingdom.com/reallyfm right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code CANVAS at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and all of Really FM. Okay, so Federico, I think I mentioned to you I was doing a lesson in school today about cloud storage and one of the things I was trying to k- get across to the kids was, look, you got to think about total cost of ownership here mm-hmm. because obviously you can go to the store and you can buy a hard drive and you maybe pay, I don't know, £60 for it or whatever and then you take it home and it's yours until it breaks. But with cloud storage, you're talking about obviously paying on a monthly basis and, and if you don't pay your data goes away <laughs> so uh, in a way it's um you're essentially sort of subscribing to your own data if you like and i know some people are quite uh resistant to subscription pricing but i think you know obviously with cloud storage you're getting an ongoing benefit and also uh one of the points i was kind of making to kids was that the, the reliability of cloud storage is probably greater than the reliability of any one storage medium that you have in your computer so uh, let's talk about price so I've, I've just put together, how do we look at um, the the Apple iCloud pricing? And of course, uh, the, the free tier on iCloud is five gigabytes and has been that way since just about forever, I think. And, and it's something that has been uh, a source of controversy, I suppose, when you're selling one terabyte iPads and uh, you're getting five gigabytes of iCloud storage free along with it. Um, but... Apple has three tiers. You've got your 50 gigabyte tier, your 200 gigabyte tier, and your two terabyte tier, uh, which is kind of strange exponential jumps, if you like. Uh, but your your initial sort of get me out of the problem that I have with my photos taking up too much space is uh, 79 pence a month in the UK and 99 cents or 99 euro cents. So what, what is, is it cents in Europe? In Europe, Is that what they call it? Cents, yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ninety nine euro cents as well, uh, so the prices in in dollars and euros is exactly the same. It's ninety nine cents, two ninety nine, and nine ninety nine for the two terabyte level, yep. and in the UK it's seventy nine pence, two pounds forty nine, and six ninety nine for the two terabyte plan, and these are pretty low prices and they're they're comparable. I was looking at the the Google Drive prices and the Google Drive prices are slightly higher in the UK. They're about a pound extra per month, um, but Dropbox are being killed on price. Um, if you want two terabytes on Dropbox, you're buying drop, what they call Dropbox Professional, and that's £20 a month. Ooh, so <laughs> wow. it's, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that the first party, you know, Google and Apple Clouds, they are really driving the price down. I mean, we used to, it used to be a lot more expensive than that, and the price has come way, way down in recent years, uh, For at least for the kind of, low to middling levels of storage 699 999 is not a lot of money to essentially solve your cloud storage problems forever and the thing you can do with that federico and we do we do this in our family is if you use itunes family sharing which is apple's mechanism for kind of binding together more than one apple id into what they call a family and <laughs> that leads to some very interesting user interface copy when you see things like um Georgia is part of your family. Remove Georgia from your family to disconnect her account. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) it's a pretty harsh thing to have to do just to change the (laughs) accounts um put your child up for adoption just to um but they're obviously referring to the itunes family um so you you can do this and and what that enables is first of all it enables um other members of the family to download the music and apps that you've purchased on your account or vice versa you know i can go into my wife's purchases and i can download whatever apps she's got and she can download whatever apps i've got and also the kids can do the same also true for movies and and tv shows and music and so on Um, but you can also then share your iCloud storage quota and that's where this becomes relevant here is that from the two terabyte plan that I have uh, my my daughter's backups eat out of that storage plan and my wife's uh, backups and you know her photos as well iCloud photo library and all the things that use iCloud are all charged against that two terabytes and I'm not using I mean I've got more than 200 gigabytes in iCloud photo library I think I've probably got about 350 380 something like that and Obviously, I've got you know, more than a terabyte spare of quota there, so I can share that with the rest of the family, and they can all get their backups and their iCloud Photo Libraries out of the same amount. So you're really talking about, unless you're a really heavy user of iCloud Photo Library, um, that two terabytes is probably going to do you and as many members of your family. Yep. I think the, there's a limit on the iTunes family sharing of I think it's got to be five, five users, and they've all got to be connected to the same payment method right? So if any of my family buy something on iTunes, my bank card is the one that gets charged for it, which, which is fine the way it is. But obviously it discourages people from, you know, building ad hoc families that involve people who are not in their house and so on. So that's really, I, I think that's sensational value, you know, why every family that's got multiple iPhones doesn't use that as, you know, it seems like a no-brainer to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and it seems to work really well. I've I've set it up months ago for all the users in my family and it works great so yeah that's the that's the pricing levels in iCloud
1: yeah that's what we do as well I pay yeah. personally for a 2 terabyte plan and I set, set it up for Sylvia for my mom and for Sylvia's mom so they don't have to think about anything else because I'm in control and they get mm. access to uh, they have their own iCloud drive space so they can save their documents they can backup photos they can backup their devices and I as the owner of the family I can control uh, and I can assign for example do I want my mom to see our shared reminders list? Nope. So I I removed that from that (laughs) and I can control like the access of each member to each feature but basically this is a great way for me to handle the payment stuff and to handle the assignment of features to each other while also ensuring that our respective mothers, they don't have to deal with iCloud and backups and photo library because I pay for it and I don't care as long as everybody's devices are backed up. So it's a great deal actually for nine ninety
0: nine mm-hmm. a month. Yeah, I'll just say one other thing about iTunes Family Sharing that's really cool is that in Find My iPhone, if you have a family set up uh, under your login, you know, previously in the old days you used to have to log in as your own user to to see other to see people's devices, but you will also see in your in your Find My iPhone. All the devices belong to any member of your family. So you can I can quickly just go into it and I can say, okay, you know, Beth lost her phone, yep. let's say. I can just go straight in there. Beth's phone appears in my list. It shows you know Beth Spears and then her device. But I can quickly ping that and locate it without having to log into her Apple ID and things like that. So you get a nice little you know, optimization there and find my find my iPhone as well.
1: So let's talk about Third-party services and third-party cloud services on iOS, and there's a. I feel like there's a distinction to be made, and I do remember that you actually wrote a blog post about this a few years ago. Um, the difference between um, a cloud service that offers a native app on iOS and a native app that talks to the cloud. It sounds like a subtle difference, but uh, I feel like this is an important uh, an important factor to consider. Which kind of Uh, cloud service you're actually accessing and in which way from your device. Um, Mm -hmm. How would you describe this difference?
0: Well, I suppose the way I think about it now, Federico, is I think about you. Obviously, get cloud storage, right? So that's your Dropbox, your OneDrive, your Google Drive, all of these things. And then you have get cloud computing, which is the sort of Amazon EC two thing where you you run a workload on a server somewhere, and then you pay for that by the minute or whatever. But in the middle, we have this thing, which I suppose at one time we would have probably called web apps. You know, and I'm talking there about things like you know Slack. Twitter, things like that, Um, which I suppose in a way I might perhaps prefer to call them cloud apps now, Mm. because quite often what we're doing in, in the mobile world is, you know, if I sit at my Mac, I'm sure I'm going to go to Twitter in a web browser. I'm going to go to Slack in a web browser. I'm going to go to Google Docs in a web browser. But in the mobile space, what we're typically doing is we're connecting to those same services, but we're using a a native app. And and that was that article that I wrote in 2014. Uh, I sort of distinguished between local apps that are synced through the cloud and cloud software that's accessed through a native app or a sort of native app in the case of, you know, these electron apps like Slack on the Mac, for example, where, or Todoist on the Mac is another good example. So you have these apps, you know, if, if you compare OmniFocus and Todoist, OmniFocus is very much, it's a native iOS and Mac app and it's syncing through a cloud service versus Todoist where it's essentially, you're connecting to the software running on the internet and you've got this sort of semi pseudo local app that sort of is kind of like a Mac app, but not entirely. Mm. And, you know, Pages and Google Docs, I suppose, are are canonical examples of the same thing. You know, Pages and and the iCloud Drive model is very much this app on this device, files are here, and then they're synced through iCloud to other devices, whereas the Google Docs experience is very much the data is not actually here, the data and the compute is happening on the cloud, and I just have this app that connects to it. And, and for me, that's the kind of distinction in, in the world at the moment. And, you know, you can trade one off against the other, but I think increasingly, particularly on the Mac, maybe not so much in iOS and mobile just yet, but on the Mac, we're very much moving over towards having much more of these kind of um, pseudo local applications, electron apps or whatever, connecting to software running on the cloud. And of course, you know, if you've been in the Google Docs world or the G Suite world for a while, you've been... Mm -hmm. gotten quite used to doing that I suppose and you can tell the
1: difference right between these two kinds of apps like there's always something about it like you can tell when you're using OmniFocus that you're using like a local native app that then syncs to the cloud and when you're using something like Todoist that it it feels like cloud software that you're seeing through the lens of a native app on your phone because of course there's no Electron on the Mac I feel like the difference is more pronounced on the Mac or a PC with Electron apps versus Native native apps, uh, because they do a bunch of weird things with like the window controls and all that kind of stuff. But on iOS, even though it's more subtle, you can always tell when it's like, when you can tell when the cloud was more like a, like not an afterthought, but like a secondary aspect of the experience. Or when in the case of Todoist or Slack, um, it, you're always, it feels like you're always online in a way, like you're always connected. Um, so, That's a great way to put it, Um, and when, as long as uh, we're talking about cloud storage services, I mean all the major players in this field at this point, they offer a native iOS component: Uh, Dropbox, uh, OneDrive, Google Drive. uh, These are the the, and uh, iCloud Drive, of course. These are the big four. Uh, There's also Mm -hmm. Amazon. What's the name? Um, Amazon. For, uh,
0: it used for, to be called Cloud Drive used, I think didn't it? I'm not sure if it's still called that
1: I I remember trying to use it years ago but there was like a regional restriction for Italy so I'm pretty sure it's available now but I I never tried it myself um Anyway, they, all these major four players, they offer uh, an, a native iOS app. And of course, Apple doesn't count because it's installed by default. Uh, but the, there are some things that I think are important uh, you know, features to look for when you're trying a cloud storage service on, a, on an iPad. Um, off the top of my head, I would say the big four are Split View Multitasking, um, Integration with the Files app, and... Um, Drag and drop to be able to easily import and export files. And even though mm-hmm. this is a more of a probably esoteric one, um, the ability to uh, to for these apps to offer quick look uh, extensions. So if you, this is one of the lesser known APIs on iOS, but third-party apps can offer a custom uh, quick look extend preview extension, uh, and this is needed because. Um, Let's say, for example, that you store a custom format, like a custom file format in an app, and you want to preview this file. And by default, iOS uses the Quick Look preview. When you're know when you in Mail or Messages, you can tap on a file and the, the preview opens in full screen. But if it's a custom file format, the preview is going to be empty. It's just going to be like a gray box that says the file name of the item. But if you have a third-party app installed that says I'm able to handle that file format, and I'm gonna show you a preview. Then the quick look, uh, the native quick look preview on iOS is gonna be populated with that preview thanks to the extension. And I don't know if um, I think I remember Dropbox offering this kind of support for some file formats, but I'm not completely positive that it does. And I don't think that OneDrive and Google Drive do either. So I would love for these services to look into the Quick Look ek- extensions and, and custom previews. Uh, another feature might be uh, the th- uh, thumbnail API. So how it's sort of al- along the same lines of Quick Look, but uh, you know when you're browsing uh, these uh, files for third-party cloud services in the Files app, these apps in theory could show you custom thumbnails, even though iOS is not able to generate them natively. So mm-hmm. this is another API mm-hmm. to look for. Um, and of course, you know we're in twenty eighteen. There's new iPad Pros. Uh, these apps need to be updated for the new iPad Pros. And so far, uh, Dropbox, which is the service that I use, does not support the new iPad Pro le- resolution yet. But it does integrate with Split View, and it does support drag and drop, which is very nice because you can move your files out of the Dropbox client and into anything else. Um, what's your Fraser? What's your experience been with? Um, Files integration with our body apps uh, because I remember that it was really bad with
0: uh, Google Drive when it launched. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Google Drive is kind of where I live at school, and and the Google Drive plugin has been terrible for quite a long time, and I think it's still pretty ropey. Mm. Um, in particular, one of the things that I was looking for from a cloud storage service was, in when you look at the the folders in in the files app for your cloud storage service, there's an item count preview on every icon. It says, you know, however many items are in the folder. And <laughs> the, the Google Drive one just had one item for every folder all the time um, until you went into the folder and then it would load the contents of the folder. And, and then when you backed out of that folder, you could see the number that you just saw. So it was quite disconcerting. And to me, that's it. With the, when you're talking about the cloud, one of the things that really makes people frightened is inconsistency, and and when you see that and, and you're like, oh, here's my all my Google Drive stuff, and why have they all only got one file in them? Oh, that's just we didn't bother implementing that part of you know. You're like what you know, that's it's insane. So, um, th- th- there may be technical reasons for doing it, but the the user experience is very poor, and I think that's that was something that always kind of. Disturbed me about it, and of course the Files app, because it's a plugin situation, the Files app wants plugins to very carefully manage their memory so that yep. uh, they don't run out of memory. And that was something that I found, and I don't know whether it was um, because I had some very large folders in Google Drive or something, but every so often you would just go into folder, and the not the Files app wouldn't crash, but the extension inside it would crash, and it would just say unable to display contents please try again or something like that. So those are the kind of things that level of stability has to be there. And I don't know if the files app plugin API is difficult for people to program against, or if it's just Google are doing a bad implementation. I'm not sure, but it's, that's always been quite disconcerting. And I'm like, do I really want to do a big file operation here on this thing that could blow up halfway through? You know, what happens if you're moving a folder and this blows up halfway through? Uh, It's always made me a bit nervous to be honest. Um,
1: I've had uh, a pretty good experience with using Dropbox myself and in the Files app. it's uh, uh, It's got all the problems that you mentioned. Sometimes it runs out of memory. Uh, you cannot control the offline caching, of course. Uh, but it does its job well. Like if I upload something to Dropbox on my computer and I open the Dropbox location in Files, it shows up, you know, after a few seconds, it's there. And I like how mm. you can... Um, Dropbox has implemented support for uh, files extensions. So you can tap and hold on a file injury in the files app in, in the Dropbox location and you can copy okay. a shareable link to that item directly from the files app, uh, you're going to see like a custom Dropbox UI uh, load up for for like a second and then a link will be copied to the clipboard, which is very nice. Um, That's cool. But yeah, I mean, iCloud Drive, I feel like by the, the very nature of Apple as a company, iCloud Drive is always going to be more integrated than any other solution. So whether using... A pure cloud storage service like Dropbox or Google Drive or more dedicated um, features like Google Photos or, uh, you know, Office 365. You're always going to get more out of the Apple official, you know, built-in solution. But I feel like at this point... We're in a much better situation than we were years ago. Like the opening of uh, third-party location in f- locations in files in iOS 11 was huge. Like as a message of Apple saying it's it's all right if you want to use other services. There's still that feeling of well, Apple being Apple, they prefer to keep their own stuff, uh, you know, more closely integrated with the system. Um, but you like, know
0: like, iCloud drive
1: is always the default location for example exactly you can't change that exactly anymore. and uh, you, you cannot say by default hold all my documents in Dropbox uh and I'm pretty sure that you know iCloud drive doesn't suffer from the memory constraints of third-party extensions um uh, but overall, um, uh, we're in a, in a better place than we were in iOS 10. I want to see what happens next year with these uh, rumored improvements for the Files app in iOS 13. I want to see what Apple is going to do for third-party developers.
0: Yeah, I think it, Files app's right for a revisit. I think, you know, it was a great start. The expansion to, you know, supported plugins and things was great. But I think we said at the time when iOS 11 came out and these plugins came out, this is one of these APIs, a bit like iOS 9 multitasking or the share sheet in iOS 8. This is going to take a year before it gets good, yep. you know, or possibly more than a year. And I think you know, in a way it was surprising that we got those those plugins as soon as we did. And it's surprising to me that they're as good as they are already. But I think, the, you know, another iteration of probably the APIs, as well as the apps probably needs to happen to get it really up to scratch. Yeah. Cool. So Federico, let me tell you about another sponsor. This episode of Canvas is brought to you by our friends at Luna Display. And Luna Display is the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. So you'll have a super portable second display with stunning image quality and basically zero lag. Setting up a Luna display is so simple. You just plug in a little piece of hardware into your Mac and you'll be up and running in seconds with everything working over Wi-Fi. And if you don't have access to Wi-Fi, you just connect via USB. Super simple. Luna display also acts as a complete extension to your Mac. It supports the external keyboard, Apple Pencil, touch interactions, and it basically turns your Mac into a touchscreen device. So basically you can have your Mac laptop and your your iPad running the Luna Display app and this little piece of hardware sitting in between. And you've got basically a two-screen Mac and your Mac sees it as two screens. That's the key thing. Federico, I know you were thinking about using it with your new Mac Mini just as essentially a headless setup. Is that something you were working
1: with? Yeah, I'm looking into it because the Luna display that I got has a mini DisplayPort um, I- version so uh, I would need to find an adapter, I think, uh, because my the new Mac Mini has uh, Thunderbolt and USB-C ports. So okay. I'm sure there's an adapter somewhere that can do this for me, but when I tested it with my MacBook Pro, it worked really well, just as advertised. It's uh, The performance is much better than, than anything else I tried in the past that was purely software-based because you got the the Luna Display dongle here to sort of uh, you know I'm pretty sure it uses the GPU to accelerate the performance and it works really well and it's uh, inobtrusive because it's really small and cute and red which uh, you know adds you know adds a bit of accent to your setup which is nice um, and yeah the the app is super easy to install on the Mac you just follow the instructions and you start mirroring your computer to an iPad and then you can you know you can it's funny because you, what you can do is you can use the pencil as a as a replacement for the mouse or for a trackpad, and because you are in your iPad, you're running the Luna Display as an app. You can still switch back and forth between iOS apps and your Mac desktop, which is a which is a funny experience. Your your brain is gonna take a while to adjust because one <laughs> one second you're in Tweetbot or you're using you know Safari for iOS, and then you just swipe over and you're seeing the Finder, which is a <laughs> it's an interesting experience. But yes, it works really really well. Super recommended.
0: Yeah, super cool. So listeners of Canvas can get an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display. And all you have to do is go to lunadisplay.com, that's L-U-N-A display.com, and enter the promo code CANVAS at checkout. That's lunadisplay.com and the promo code CANVAS at checkout. And our thanks to Luna Display for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So when
1: thinking about the future of the cloud on iOS, uh, I have... I don't have a lot of requests, but the ones I have are very specific. Um, The first big problem giving out Five gigabytes of free storage is too little for iCloud users. I would like to see Apple expanding the free tier because I mean, five gigabytes—you, you, you, you know—you you shoot a couple of four K videos and you're done <laughs> at this point. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, more free storage and, if possible, cheaper plans. Even though I cannot complain about those two terabytes being offered for ten euros a month. You know, it'd be great to have uh, you know a little savings in the future because Apple is a huge company, and why not? I mean, if you can, if I can save money on iCloud storage, uh, the better it is for for everybody. Um, and of course, I mentioned uh, having consistency between uh, what you can do on Mac, and what you can do on the web, and what you can do on iOS with files on iCloud Drive, Uh, versioning, more caching controls, more just features to recover uh, versions of files or deleted files and make it pretty, give it a a native UI, just make it possible to do these kinds of things. And also, I would like to see iCloud Drive catch up to what other services have been doing. for example, I cannot. I think it's incredible that I still cannot share entire folders with iCloud Drive. I, I need to do this with Dropbox. If I want to share a folder, my seriously my best solution uh, with using iCloud Drive is to zip up the folder, <laughs> which I cannot do with files alone. So I would need a third-party utility and then upload the zip file and share as a. As a as an item, not as a real time collaborative folder. So I would love to yeah. see folder based collaboration with iCloud uh, with iCloud Drive because the individual file collaboration, which already exists, has been working really well for me. I share a bunch of documents with John, or you know, for Mac stories, and with other people in my life, and it works really well. So folder based sharing, and then I guess I don't have any more complex needs than this. Um, I, I you know I my workflow the way that I work on on iOS I I use cloud services a lot and I use I've been switching about, I mean all my articles all my drafts they live in iCloud drive I back them up to other places like Dropbox and I use GitHub for collaboration with MacSorys. But more and more, I'm using apps that, that rely on iCloud or that use Dropbox. And of course, Google Docs is my cloud service of choice when it comes to document collaboration for podcasts. So more and more, comparing how I use the iPad now to 10 years ago, to, you know, with the iPhone 10 years ago, I'm I'm all in with the with the cloud-based system, which we we talked about many many times before. If you want to work yeah, on iOS, you yeah. got to use the cloud. But I want to hear from you. Like I I think your you know especially for you, for your job, uh, the the kinds of things that you would like to see with the cloud access on iOS are more complex than mine.
0: Yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, I'll take you back to. 2010 I think it was or early 2011 when an app, my Apple rep came to visit my school for the first time and the conversation we had back then was I said look you need to provide iCloud for schools you know let, let me put my domain on iCloud and create accounts for the kids in the school they get an iCloud account they get an email address all that stuff and you know, give me a dashboard for it, and they were like, "Hmm, maybe it sounds like a lot of operational cost." Um, and here we are, you know, nearly ten years later, and you know, Google, Google Apps for Education, or G Suite, if as it's called now, just completely owns that space. You know, and my Office three six five has done a good job of keeping what it's got as well. Um, but Apple's essentially nowhere. You know, you have this thing called Apple School Manager that lets you create, uh, it lets you create what are called managed Apple IDs for school kids. Um, but those managed Apple IDs are limited. Yes, they get more free storage. They get two hundred gigs of free storage, which is great. But um, they can't do things like they're not a fully functional Apple ID. Like you can't buy something from the store, for example. They're very, very restricted. So I suppose what I'm kind of saying about Apple's cloud world, if if it wants to be working in organisations as well as for consumers, they need to sort of provide an identity layer on top. So we have the like everybody has an Apple ID, you know, consumers managed Apple IDs and so on, but nobody really knows anybody else's Apple ID. You know, it's it's not. For most people, it's not necessarily your email address or whatever. Um, some people it is, but you know, it, collaborating through iCloud becomes a, a process of sort of remembering a yet another identifier for somebody. Whereas in our, because we're in G Suite and G Suite is both our email system and our document collaboration system, if I know somebody's email address and I know everybody's email address that I need to work with, and it can be auto completed and things and all the sharing dialogues, then I don't have to do any work to to make that sharing happen. And that's that's something that I think Apple could definitely um, do a lot with is just, you know, make it so that if you're an iPad organization, like your identity is sort of tied into the iPad in some way. And I think that's, that, that's a major thing is it goes beyond just iCloud Drive or anything like that. It's like the Apple ID has to be a functional identifier for people uh, so that you can start to collaborate without having to constantly sort of remember what their Apple ID is as well. I've mentioned, and you mentioned as well, Federico, pinning files offline so they don't get purged. We have that sort of particular problem at the moment with those large, uh, the learn to code documents that we have. Uh, Those are much bigger than any other file on the device, and they seem to be targeted by whatever, you know, it's probably what they're doing is they're saying, okay, we need some space what's the largest file we can get rid of? Okay, we can delete this one file and we'll get 150 megabytes of space back. Let's do that one first. And it's only one file, but unfortunately it's a file that we need quite a lot. So uh, a wee bit more sophistication on that would be very, very welcome. And I think the way I kind of would like to finish it, Federico, is just to say that iCloud is really good now. You know, Apple has this reputation and still has this reputation of being very kind of Weak on services, you know. But you've you've named all the things that Apple does, and all the all the uh, how many how many users is that? How many devices is that a day? Syncing stuff through iCloud and not having significant problems anymore. And I think that's that's a major thing. I suppose one other little issue that I've seen sometimes when I'm doing a sort of um, systems administration stuff on iOS is that it seems to me that the queue of operations that downloads apps from the App Store is the same queue that iCloud will use to download files from iCloud drive so that you can open them. And what I find sometimes if I've ever got a device where a number of apps are installing at the same time and there's a file that's gone offline in iCloud and need to download that, sometimes that file has to wait for all the different apps to be installed before huh. the file will be open. That. <laughs> wow. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but because um, sometimes when we when we enroll in a device, our MDM will push down, you know, eight to ten different apps and they all come in right. at once, and then I, I open up, you know, pages or whatever, and I want to open a file, and that file just sits and spins and spins and spins because it's at the back of the queue for all these different apps that have got to be installed first, and then this file comes along. So a little bit more kind of fine-grained queuing, I think, would be quite nice as well. That's a super edge case, and it's something I've only noticed uh, a few times, but it, I think it is... Uh, part yeah. of the same system so yeah yeah uh, yeah but no but overall i think icloud is great i agree and, and it, it does a lot of heavy lifting all the time and we don't really even notice it that's how good it has has become so yeah although there's things we would like it to do and i think the the persistent folder sharing workflows is a big one it's actually stopping people from doing things they would want to do with icloud i think the, the rest is stuff that can be added over time yeah i agree so, um how increasingly reliant on the cloud will our workflows become? Is our last question in the notes, and I think the answer is completely
1: yes, absolutely. Really
0: really and truly I think that's that's where we're going is um all your data in the cloud and and you know access from devices and we've talked before about Chromebook that's the kind of fundamental philosophy of Chromebook but I think iOS has made a significant transition. When you think about all the years we've been using iOS, Federico, and what it was like with those early iPhones. It was it was like this is a little tiny computer in my pocket, and I've got files on my phone. And now it's just this is a remote control for the cloud. And and I think we're really a long way down that road where uh, an iPad will be as. Uh, adaptable as a Chromebook in terms of uh, accessing data and not having a ton of local state on the device. Okay. You've got your photos and videos and things like that, but even that's starting to become much more agile in the cloud as well. Okay. I think we'll leave it there for this show this week. This has been canvas episode 75, the future of iPad and the cloud. You can find show notes for this show at relay.fm slash canvas slash 75. You can connect with the show on Twitter at underscore canvas.fm. I'm Fraser Spears on Twitter. Federico Isvatici, and we'll be back with you next show.